You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. I've been nominated to read, so we're going to read from 1 Peter 2, verse 4 to 12. Is that right? Yeah. No. I just gave Josh a heart attack because I said chapter 4, verse 12, and he was like, what? (laughs) So, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to you who, to you who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they are destined for. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people. Once you are not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good, live such good lives among you, the, pa- the, the pagans through that they accuse you for doing wrong. They may see your, your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Good evening, good evening. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh. I have the privilege of being on staff here, one of the pastors, and I'm so excited to share with you a message uh, from 1 Peter 2. What a rich passage that was. Um, Before I jump in, very, very quickly, Cause to Live For is coming up. Luke seems enthusiastic about it, so does Holly. I'm so pumped. Wow, look at the media guy. He's on the ball tonight. Um, It is for everyone from 18 to 30, so students, young adults, everyone in between, even some youth as well. So um, if you fall into that 18 to 30s category, students, it's for you and and it's going to be incredible. We're going to bust a whole load of people down. It's going to be life-changing. Hey, um, anyone here enjoy films? Anyone here like watching movies, reading books? Um, I wonder what some of the most popular, famous books and films have in common. Let me read you out a few of the most popular stories of all time. The Odyssey. Everyone's like, what? (laughs) The Lord of the Rings. Star Wars. You like Star Wars? The Matrix. My favorite childhood movie, The NeverEnding Story. Anyone seen The NeverEnding Story? That's obscure. If you watch it, it's creepy now, but when I was a child, it was cool. Um, all of the greatest narratives of our time have one thing in common. They are all about a journey. They are all about a journey. See, great journeys are not linear. 
They are complicated. They are complex. There are trials and tribulations. There are mountains to climb and streams to fall. There's growth to be had. There's struggle. There's relationships. And ultimately, there is redemption. There is the conquest of good over evil. I think one of the reasons we love stories so much in our culture today is because there is something hardwired into humanity to relate to stories. When we watch something or read something or hear something, there's something in us which can relate and say, hey, that is part of my story. That is part of my journey. The Bible talks a lot about our spiritual life like that of a journey. Whether we recognize it or not, every single one of us here today is on a spiritual journey. And if you are a follower of Jesus here tonight, then your journey has been commandeered by the ways of Jesus and his kingdom. We've been awakened to the reality that God, God is real, God is alive, God is here in the room, and we have said yes to his call. The New Testament always speaks of or frequently, this, this language of following Jesus like a journey. Paul writes that our life is like a race that we run. In Ephesians, it says that we're called to walk in love. In 1 Corinthians, it says we walk by faith and not by sight. The language of movement saturates the Scriptures. Life is a journey. And how many of you know it is not always an easy journey? How many of you know that? Following Jesus isn't easy. It is often messy and complicated. We come to Jesus and we bring our past and our pain. We bring our desires. We bring our ambitions. We bring our doubts and our fears and our scars and our joys. And somehow we often reluctantly lay them at his feet and we invite him to lead us and heal us and shepherd us, and call us, and set us free, and teach us, and fashion us, and mold us into his own likeness. And sometimes we run the other way. Sometimes we are like dragged there, kicking and screaming, and other times we get to the end of ourselves, and we recognize that I need him. There are moments in every story where the characters in that story are faced with significant opposition. When there is attack, or war, or temptation, or struggle, or inner turmoil, or pain, or loss, or betrayal, or bad choices. And the characters in that moment are themselves faced with a choice. Where do we go from here? How do we respond? Do we quit? Do we walk away? Or do we keep going? And in 1 Peter, we are peering into one of those struggle, trial, opposition moments in the story and the lives and the journey of the early church as they are following Jesus, they're experiencing salvation, they're experiencing the joys and the highs of knowing God, but right now they find themselves in what Peter describes as exile. We're in a series at the minute called Embracing Exile. We're doing Daniel in the morning and one Peter in the evening. And if you want to know a summary, the premise is this. If you are here today and you love Jesus and you follow Jesus, this world is not your home. You do not belong here. Peter says time and time again in this passage that we are exiles. What that means is essentially we are people from another planet, another dimension, another realm, another kingdom, 
We are positioned and placed on earth in the midst of a world and a culture which is totally at odds with the values and the principles and the practices and the way of life of where we've come from. Towards the end of the passage, Peter uses the language of a sojourner. And the Greek word here essentially paints the picture of someone who lives here but isn't from here. Someone, it's like, it's like um, a temporary stay waiting at an airport before your final flight to the eternal destination. That's the language Peter uses to describe our life here on earth. He says, time, time again, you do not belong here. You are not of here. We're exiles, we're aliens, we're strangers, we're sojourners, we are travelers passing through, and we have to remember that. This world is temporary. This world is short. The persecution, the pain, the trials, the temptations that we're struggling will not last forever. I think it was Mother Teresa who said famously that compared to heaven, even a life filled with the most horrific of suffering is, in comparison is like spending the night in a mildly inconvenient hotel. Heaven is coming and it's going to be glorious. But right here and right now, we live in exile. And the question we want to ask is, how do we not just survive, but thrive in exile? How, how can we refuse to compromise, but instead influence? How can we allow our convictions to stand strong and our faith to be lived out in an environment where there are pressures and persecution, where we experience suffering and pain, and yet long for the inbreaking of God's kingdom? And this is what 1 Peter 2 is all about. 1 Peter 1, as John has so brilliantly shared over the last few weeks, is all about salvation. In the first 12 verses, we are described as experiencing a new birth, a living hope, an inheritance, a secure salvation kept in heaven, something experienced now but completed when Christ returns. This is what it means to be born again. We are starting in salvation. But now... Peter explores what it looks like to live out our saved life that is aligned with him, Jesus, and his kingdom. And so I want to just journey through this passage because if you will have been listening closely to Lauren as she's read it, you'll discover that the call of God in this passage is less about me and I and more about a community. And here's the big idea of 1 Peter 2. God is building a family. In verse 4, it says this, As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, the living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Peter says you've been saved, you've been set free, you've been born into a new life. Why? Because God is building a house. God is building a community. This whole passage is about community. Uh, let me just run through some of the ways that Peter describes the community that God is building. If you've got a, a, a highlighter or something, highlight these in your Bible. We are described as living stones, a spiritual house a holy priesthood, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, God's people, receivers of God's mercy in one passage. It's almost like Peter is trying to tell us something. What's he saying? Well, Peter is essentially saying this. If you want to thrive in exile, if you want to follow Jesus faithfully throughout your life and persevere in trials and temptations and struggles, 
if you want to get to the other side and finish well, not just start well, this doesn't happen alone. This doesn't happen alone. There is no such thing as lone Christianity. That is an oxymoron. It's impossible. How many of you know we live in an incredibly individualistic culture right now in our world? It's all about me. It's all about my rights and my desires and my ambitions and my future. You do you. Look after number one. It's about human rights instead of human responsibilities. We live in an iPod, iPad, iWorld. We've been consumed with this thing called consumerism where we place ourselves at the center of our universe. We become the focal point of the room. And this has taken hold of the church in some respects. We come to church, we listen to the worship, we listen to the sermon, and we go, I didn't get much out of that today. Or has anyone said this? Yes, that's my favorite song. I say that every week. (laughs) And, And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but subtly we can be creating mindsets where actually this is about me. But God is building a family God is building a church. Firstly, it's about him. Secondly, I believe it is about us. I wonder if anyone said this before, what is my destiny? What is God's will for my life? And and what that is sometimes code for is, when am I going to do the thing that makes me most happy and fulfilled and feel good about myself? Because if God told you what your destiny was and his plan for your life, you'd probably say, no, I'm good. (laughs) You'd probably say, I I don't want that. I want to have lots of money and be safe and fun and chilled. Most of the time, those are great questions to ask. But that sometimes reinforces this idea that your destiny is your destiny, your calling is your own, and you can change the world on your own. And I want to encourage us tonight by saying, I believe if we want to change the world, it happens in community, happens in this house, happens in this family. And what if I told you that if we want to see our city impacted with the kingdom of God, if you want to see our city turned upside down, if you want to see revival, which we sang about in that song, if you want to see heaven invade earth, then we need to shift from my destiny and my calling to our destiny. What if instead of asking, how can I fulfill my call, we ask the question like, how can I contribute to what God is doing through our church community? How can I live, as Peter says, as a stone in the house of God in my time and in my generation? In that passage, Peter talks a lot about living right and living holy. The reason for that is because God is building a home. The word house there in the Greek that Peter uses is not just about bricks and mortar and a building, but it's about the family that lives in it. And this is the destination of the journey that we are all on. It is family. It's community. And I believe this is vital to understand if we are to thrive in exile. So what are some of the keys to thriving in exile as a community? Firstly, let me say this, it is all about Jesus. That verse says, as you come to him, as you come to him. Let me pause and say that these few words really are the key to the whole thing, key to thriving in life, living in exile, the walking in the ways of Jesus. It becomes with simply coming to him begins with simply creating space, taking a deep breath and welcoming him 
becoming aware of his presence. How busy are we in life that we sometimes miss the thing that we were born for, which is communion with Jesus, which is life with the Lord. Being a Christian, it's not about joining a community of people who are attached to a religion. It's not about accepting some theology. It's not about endorsing a historical group. Being a Christian, firstly and foremost, is about coming to Christ. It's about coming to him. Jesus said this in the Gospel of Matthew, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come, take my yoke, learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. One theologian put it like this, to be a Christian is to come to Christ. And it is to come to Christ in such a way that you are literally joined to him in an indivisible union. When we come to him, we start to become like him. We take on his life and character. He is a living stone, Peter says, and we become living stones. He grants us, he imports upon us his life and his character. We become, as Peter says, partakers in his divine nature. Think about that. Many of us want to change the world on our own without first coming to Jesus. We want the kingdom, but we don't want the king. When we come to him, when we draw near, when we create space and margin in our world to meet with him, to hear from him, to be led by him, to be challenged by him, to be taught by him, to be spend time with him, I believe that if we do a little bit of that every single day, it changes everything. It changes everything. As we do that, we become increasingly more comfortable and we get rich and successful. No, that's not true. That's not what happens. As we come to him, we become like him and we join in his story of a kingdom that he is building here on earth. We join his story in saying yes to the call and bringing hope and life and freedom and doing the things that actually bring us most joy. When we lay down our rights and our earthly desires and ambitions and we say yes to the call of God, all of a sudden he gives us his life in exchange for ours. It's incredible. This is what we're called to. He's the living stone and we become living stones in his story, in his house. When we spend time with him, we become compelled with his vision for our city. We become compelled with his vision for our church. I sense God is calling us once again to ask the question, what does it look like to be living stones in his house? And it starts with coming to him. Coming to him, Jesus is at the center. This is what we exist for as a church. We exist for the name of Jesus to be proclaimed in our time and our city, for the fame and the renown of Jesus to go forth as we come to him. And as we come to him, we discover who we are. My second point is that in order to thrive in exile and live in community, we must know who we are, our destiny is inextricably linked to community. But it's not just that, actually our identity is inextricably linked to community. When we become Christians, we get joined to the body of Christ. We become part of the church. We can't separate our salvation from our living in community. 
Even when we talk about this in language of like, who are we? Uh, what's our identity in Jesus? We say, who are we in Christ? I am adopted, set free, born again, the righteousness of God. Yes and amen to all of that. But there's more to who we are. When we stop understanding that, we miss a vital part of the puzzle. Peter here is saying it's not just about who you are, it's about who we are. Peter says, let me tell you who we are. This is the key to thriving in exile. We are a chosen race. How many of you know tonight you are chosen? We are chosen. You are chosen for such time as this, but this community is chosen in this time, in this generation to make a difference. We are chosen. And when we talk about chosenness, we recognize that the, the significance of that chosenness has nothing to do with who we are really. It's about who does the choosing. It's about who does the choosing. John used to use the analogy of um, if, uh, and I love it, I can't, I'm going I'm to use it anyway. Um, if I say, uh, you know, I'm a, I, I play for Man United, but don't, like it's completely irrelevant. If I choose myself, like I would put myself on the team sheet because I'm a Man United fan and currently we are doing appallingly. But originally you said Sir Alex Ferguson, obviously he's left. If Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer calls me up and says, Josh Turner, I choose you, that changes everything. Probably wouldn't make the team that much worse, to be honest. But our chosenness has all to do with who is doing the choosing, and we need to recognize that God is doing the choosing. No matter how you've seen yourself in your life, no matter the words that have been spoken over you, no matter the negativity that maybe you feel like surrounds your calling or your destiny, God has chosen you from before the foundation of the earth. He has chosen you. And he's chosen you to be here in this community for such a time as this. When we're chosen, and when we realize that we're chosen, all of a sudden it changes how we see living in exile. If God's chosen me for such a time as this, maybe I can endure persecution. Maybe I can get through trials. When I'm struggling or against opposition or coming up against attack, man, if I'm chosen by God to be here, right here, right now, to be who I am, Maybe I can keep going. Maybe I can get through this. If you're chosen, it means you're chosen for something, which means there's more to the story than what you're experiencing. And I wonder if some of us tonight have come here just struggling, struggling with life, struggling with faith, struggling with university or relationships. God has chosen you. God has chosen you. The story that you have been living in the past doesn't define your future. It's not the final word. God has chosen you. Verse 10, it says, once we weren't a people, but now we are a people. Once we had not received mercy, but now you have. You want to know what mercy is? It is a welcoming into the kingdom of God. It is a welcoming into the family. It is a chosen for adoption. It's the no holds barred, extravagant pursuit of a father who runs passionately, relentlessly, to find his children. He leaves the 99, he goes after the one. But then what happens? He brings that one back home into community. Doing exile on our own is impossible. You need to remember that you are chosen. Then Peter says, we are a royal priesthood. Chosenness speaks to identity and security. Royal priesthood speaks to activity. Have you ever realized that you are royalty? You are royalty. The Bible says we are co-heirs with Christ. 
How we see ourselves changes how we live. We are, we are royal priests. Do you, do you realize that you are a priest? Hey, turn to your neighbor and say, you are a priest. You are a priest. In this church, you are a priest. Hey, let me ask you this question. Are you carrying out your priestly duties? What do priests do? Well, first of all, priests have full access to the throne of God and the presence of God, and they minister to God. Think about that. Priests have full access to the throne of God because of the blood of Jesus. That is a game changer. We come to him. We get to minister to him and worship him, but also we minister to one another. As priests in this house, you bring something so valuable into this community that when you're not here, we miss out. Church isn't something you experience, it's who you are. We don't go to church, we are the church. And as a community in exile, everyone needs to play their part. Everyone gets to be involved in what the Lord is doing. And maybe you feel like you've been a spectator in the game for your whole Christian life. Maybe you feel like you've just sat on the sidelines. Well, if that is you, we just say we want you to get involved. There is a space and a place here in this community to make a difference. We are priests. A really practical way that priests can be priestly is by joining a team here at church. Do you know we have priests on the car park waving batons? We have priests. Peter goes on to say, you're a holy nation. You're a people that belong to God. And he expounds here the idea of living right. And he, he says this, Beloved, I urge you as you're living in exiles in a foreign land, do not be like the world. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, the base human desires. Don't let them control you. In other words, just because you feel it doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you. And this is the key. If you want a good reason to live right, it's because deep down, Peter says, they wage war against your soul. They wage war against your soul. How we live does something to us on the inside. The actions that we take with our lives and with our bodies and with our words have a very real consequence to our life. You are a holy nation. He is holy and he calls us to be holy. The final thing Peter wants us to know, and then we're going to pray, is that our community, this house, this family that God is building exists as a home for our city. How we live and love in this house, how we live and love in the world will contribute to changing the lives of people in this city. Peter says this, keep your conduct in the world honorable. Why? Because people are going to watch you and go, there's something different about that community. They speak well of one another. They refuse to compromise. They, they are generous. They're extravagant. Their language is pure. They refuse to gossip. You could go on. God is calling us to be different. I wonder what it could look like to fully step into not just our individual calling, but us as a community. We are in exile. We are in Babylon, as we've been talking about in the morning services. There is pressure on all sides. And I want to encourage us tonight, as Peter has, we need to know who we are. We are a chosen nation. We are holy. 
We are redeemed. We are priests. If we live that out, I believe we can change the face of our city and our world forever. Why don't we stand? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.